time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? Doctor is gone, and in his place is a scruffy-looking little Herbert who can't keep his sausage in his pocket. It's time to usher in the Patrick Troughton era of Doctor Who. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark, and it's all change, so let's waste no more time and get up to speed with where we are in the story so far. Disorientated after his regeneration, the Doctor takes the TARDIS to the Earth colony Vulcan. Ben and Polly are disturbed. The Doctor isn't the man he used to be. The Doctor too is worried. The colonists have found the remains of two Daleks, which they plan to revive. Once revived, the Daleks claim that they are content to serve humanity. Can it really be true? Or do they have their own more sinister plans? And we'll be joining our very special guests after this. Now look, the Doctor always wore this, so if you're him, it should fit now, shouldn't it? There, that settles it. I'd like to see a butterfly fit into a chrysalis case after it spread its wings. Then you did change. Life depends on change and renewal. Oh, so that's it. You've been renewed, have you? I've been renewed, have I? That's it. I've been renewed. It's part of the TARDIS. Without it, I couldn't survive. Come here. The doctor kept a diary, didn't he? Yes. I thought so. I wonder where. I wonder where. It's a very different doctor, Ben. Yeah, maybe. Just where do we stand, though? And welcome back. And we have been joined by two very special guests for this episode. We have the wonderful Lindsay from Trek This Out. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's lovely to have you on again. It's becoming a bit of a a regular thing, isn't it? Well, I'm going to be very upset if you don't invite me back next series now. Well, uh, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Anyway, moving on, uh, making his EOTAS debut is the amazing Simon Brett. Hello, Simon. Hello. You sure you got the right one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's all good. There are more than one. There's quite a few. <laughs> there are, but you are the Simon Brett. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so we figured we'd have you on to talk about a, a fairly nondescript story that no one's that bothered about. Um, but in the meantime, Ian... Would you like to uh, subject our guests oh, to... Yes, it's... You know what time it is, don't you guys? It's time for The Mind Probe. No, not, oh, no, the, mind not probe. the Mind Probe.
Yes. So uh, the usual uh, rules apply. Yada yada yada. Castellan Cockrum. Yada yada yada. Toss you off into the time lash. I have some questions. Uh, I'm going to fire them out. I think this time we're going to be a bit more kind of friendly, I suppose. So it's it's up to both of you to work as a team on this one. Get more than uh, well, get th- get three right, and you've defeated the uh, mind probe. If you get if you, if you don't do that, it's it's the time lash for you both. Mm. So, so in the audio medium, we can confer. You can confer. You can do a little song, maybe um, interpretive dance. Whatever dance, you like. Dance doesn't work on audio. We've tried that. Oh, do you remember with yeah. Jr? Oh yeah, he was cavorting for about forty he minutes, was, wasn't he? And we couldn't. Why was he naked as well? That was I weird. don't know. And that huge mm. wicker phallus. I mean, it was mm. it was just bizarre. It wasn't wicker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, lovely, lovely guests. Question one is a true or false question. True or false. Uh, Norman Powers is a character from the Eighth Doctor novel uh, Conundrum. Is that true or false? Simon, that sounded like you might have an idea. I know. It would be a complete guess. Me too. I don't get time to read all the books. Um, shall so what we do you think? Does it sound like does it sound like a believable name? It does, but I wonder if it's maybe from like a different book or from a different doctor, and they're just trying to trick us. Hmm. And are all the answers going to have some power connection as well? Oh, maybe. Going to be a very short mm, quiz blimey, this week. Yeah, you've been rumbled. Um, okay. Um, I'm. I shall we flip a coin? I'm happy to go with whatever you would like, Simon. Um. No. No. Go with your gut. Which was that it's false. Yeah, let's say false. It is false. Conundrum was a virgin new adventure, not an Eighth Doctor novel. So, well done, Smarty the pair of you. <laughs> Question two. No actual knowledge, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> this, this one, again, I think working together you'll get to quite easily. Name two artists, or more, but at least two, who have released a song called The Power of Love. I could sing you at least one of them. Um, no idea you who recorded it. Um, oh, that's awful! Oh, the power of we'll love. Ta- we'll take. We'll take. We'll take. from uh, above. A rendition. I think you can do three. I can do. Th- I can do three. Go for it. Well, um, I, oh, actually, one I can't remember. Which she's called Jennifer something or other. But there's Arash, Fran- mm-hmm. Je- uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. That's the one I was thinking of. Huey Lewis in the news, mm-hmm. and then Jennifer—I can't remember. Is it Jennifer Rush. Oh, Jennifer. Rush. Rush. That is entirely correct and marvellous. <laughs> Fantastic. Question three: Name three of Superman's special powers. Okay, so he has like crazy laser beam eyes yes that's exactly yes. what i've got written down and he can fly <laughs> yep and i'm pretty sure he can bend steel what do you think Simon? doesn't he have very strong breath as well <laughs> i feel like he's been on the garlic bread and <laughs> only if they've got a garlicky meal in the canteen mm. on the set there's also the ability to like wear two layers of clothes permanently and not just be a sweaty <laughs> mess yes 
and the power to change his appearance entirely by putting on a pair of glasses. I think we've gone well beyond the required three. Interestingly, um, I've just been Googling it, and indeed, um, when they did Superman Returns, there was a problem with garlicky breath. Everyone had T-shirts that said, Oh, Struth, it's Brandon Ruth. So there you go. I think they call it Kryptonian breath. (laughs) It's certainly green. Okay, question number four. In the 1960s, what kind of power did the hippies have? Flower power. Flower power is correct. This is heading on for a full house now. Uh, Where would you meet Lord Zed, Rita Repulsa and Scorpina? Hmm. Not a clue. What's the, uh, what was that TV show? Gladiators. I, I like. I think Scorpio was just Scorpio in Gladiators. Scorpina doesn't it? feel like a very gladiator name. No, no. Scorpina. He-Man. I, I, I wonder if it's not like He-Man. I I, I can accept He-Man. It's not correct, but I will accept it as your answer. (laughs) You'll kick yourself. It's the Power Rangers. Of course it is. Um, I would like to claim that I am slightly too old for the Power Rangers. Yeah, same here. Same here. I had to Google it. Yeah, never Uh, too old for the Power Rangers, surely. Only slightly. One last question for you both. Who famously asked the question, Who throws a shoe? That sounds like an Austin Powers thing, maybe. Yes. Wonderful. Full house, I think. Oh, no, you've got the Power Rangers wrong. You've beaten the mind probe. Mark you doesn't have. get to toss anyone into the time no, rush. It's all no. good. Well no done. No tinsely death for you. No. Well done. So, Power of the Daleks. Lindsay, I'm going to come to you first. Were you aware of this story before we asked you to cover it I was not uh, so for anybody who has not heard me on previous series um, I am woefully ignorant <laughs> of all things classic who and I feel like I'm now kind of staying that way mostly because of this podcast yeah I'm sorry about that um, no 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 sort of it's a good excuse not to to feel like I should be you know taking endeavors to watch mm-hmm. at all um, so no I had no idea um, so I got quite excited. One, when I realised it was an animation, because I've never watched like Ooh. an animated recovered version okay. before. Um, and two, because there's a regeneration. Yes. In fact, more than that, there is the first mm. regeneration. Um, so yes. And I was about to say, I didn't really know it was notable or controversial or popular, whichever of those things <laughs> it is. Um However, given that the, it does contain the first regeneration and that it is a missing episode... This is that true. shouldn't be this is true. Simon, mm. your first experience of this one, would it have been a Target book or would you have heard the audio? What's, what's your relationship with this story? It was purely synopses for a long, long time. Ah. Uh, where I was... I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of story and I'm always interested in how, you know, what happens to ca- characters over a period of time. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's not so much about reading the thing from start to end. It's about checking out where they've been to get yeah. to where they are now. So for me, it was a case of catching up and 
I, I've if if nothing else, I was fascinated by the, that first regeneration. That was always a big thing for me with Doctor mm. Who, anyway. Yeah. Um, so the story itself has always kind of taken a back a back seat. You know, it was just kind of mm-hmm. well, this is this is how Patrick Troughton appeared, and this is kind of what happened. Um, so yeah. So my mm-hmm. actual experience of the whole thing probably didn't happen properly until the Steelbook Blu-ray cross oh, DVD okay. pack arrived on my doorstep a couple mm. of years ago. So, Yes. Ian, would you have read the, the Target book? I didn't. So I think mm. it was published around the time uh, that John Peel wrote Time Worm Genesis, which was the first okay. new adventure, which kind of prompted me to perhaps not read other books by John mm. Peel. So I didn't read this one. Um, I didn't buy the steel book. I had no experience of it at all until um, I happened to reach it on BritBox as part of this Ah. watch through. Incidentally, here in America on BritBox, this is Mm -hmm. this is season four of Doctor Who. There is just these six episodes available. Oh goodness! Yeah. Wow. Okay. Incidentally, again. Mm. Um, I was in a charity shop about two weeks ago and they had some Doctor Who books and they said, oh, are you interested in these? We've got a few more at the back, but we're just checking the prices of them and in amongst them was The Power of the Daleks. And then they checked the price and they said, do you want to buy it? And I said, no, I've got children to feed. (laughs) (laughs) And and to be fair to them, they offered me a really good price, but Ah. it was still too much money. How much? I'm really curious. Um, I think... Well, the the figure of forty pound was good. Was, Lord was mentioned at one point, but I think mm. they were going to drop it down to say thirty or something like that. But right, it wasn't in great condition. All these fans who like you know want to buy these things mm. push the price up. There are completionists out there. There yeah. are indeed. I think my own uh, relationship with the story is similar to Simon's in a way. The you mentioned about the synopses, I had the. Uh, program guide by Jean-Marc Lefissier, which was a Target book, which had just little brief synopses of all the stories up until God. I'm not sure how far it went. I remember you had it went all out of to the Lucopolis, didn't it? Or did yeah. It go into Peter well, they had a picture of Davison on the cover with the other Doctors, but out I can't of remember all if creatures any of great and small. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't remember <laughs> if any of his were in it. It's been so long since I've seen it. So yeah, that had a breakdown of each story so i think that probably would have been where i first became aware of it um and possibly through peter haining's key to time book but yeah then it would have been the audio so a friend lent me a disc with a whole bunch of the the missing episodes um with the linking narration um so yeah it would have been that and now more recently the the multiple different animated versions we've had they did, they did one back in, I think it was 2016, um, which was the original attempt, but it was a very rushed effort to try and get out to coincide with the anniversary of the first screening. And they've since done a, a sort of redone version, uh, which came out as a special edition, so they've um, tweaked the animation a bit and made it a, a little bit, well, in their eyes, a little bit better. I'm pretty sure I've got the first version. Mm-hmm. 
he says. <laughs> oh, I was just sitting here going, I wonder Assuming. which version is on Brookbox, because that's where yeah. I watched it. Um, I, I I don't know how whether there's a particular order in which we would like to discuss this, but I found it really interesting that I quite mm. enjoyed the fact that it was black and white. I thought I was like I was quite in, invested uh-huh. in that. It was fine. And then yeah. I think it's either episode three or episode four is suddenly in colour. Oh. And I was like, I think that's that's a choice. Depending on where you're uh, you're viewing this uh, material, that might be down to whatever episodes they can get. But um, but yeah, it should. There are two usually on the DVD and Blu-ray versions. There's a black and white version and a color version. You can choose which one you want to watch. Well, we we didn't get any color. We only got black and white. So the uh, the American oh, well. Box really does get the uh, the bottom end of the the available who. Mm. I would argue I think it worked better in black and white. Um, yeah. And I also think it's really interesting because all the way through watching it, like I was really impressed by the quality of the animation, particularly the backgrounds. Um, I think the TARDIS mm-hmm. interior was done incredibly well. Yeah. And I was just really aware of the fact that I'm watching this and I was like, oh, I bet you anything, this is more impressive as animation than it would have been. <laughs> I'm fairly sure the backgrounds are responsible. Um, Mike Collins is responsible for the backgrounds, isn't he? A lot of them. Oh, I'm not as in, sure. As in the, you know, semi-official Doctor Who artist. So mm. they're, they're really lovely. Yeah, no, no, they were beautifully done. And even things like scenes with lots of Daleks in them. Like, I, I, I can only mm. imagine it was either done with, like, six Daleks carefully filmed or, like, they had cardboard cutouts or something. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they didn't have a room full of Daleks in the Yeah, original. on the Blu-ray, they do have... Um, there are a number of little clips that uh, have been saved to the archive by uh, either through censorship, through getting them recovered from various countries that had copies of this sent out and they censored bits because they felt it might be a bit too violent. So ironically, because they felt they couldn't be seen, they're one of the few things you can (laughs) see. And um, through fans as well, filming the TV screen with their cine cameras. I think Rob Mamoni from the 42 to Doomsday podcast i think he was responsible for for finding some clips if i remember rightly he's a bit like matt barber when he comes to talking about his book he doesn't really like to talk about it very much (laughs) (laughs) Um, i actually watched the whole thing in color the full color version um yeah i mean i I don't don't want to fill fill this space with lots of talk of the animations because i've got lots of opinions and sort of things on about them but i part of me thinks it's a funny space with these animations is that either they try and stick to the original filming script as much as possible and emulate what would have been on screen or they go the other way and create something that that is is new and i think part of me leads towards that which is why i kind of like watching it in color because then i think it is something new and it's not just trying to emulate the original thing and you're not they're not trying to kind of create the original experience but yeah. um, but i don't i don't know it's it's I think maybe when the animation's at this level, because I think this was early days for this, this particular team, wasn't it? That maybe it's better to, to stay with the black and white and keep it simple. I don't know. I certainly felt that there were one or two moments whereby it felt that they'd had to do something because there was something on the soundtrack or something. Like, there were one or two moments that felt slightly clunky or they'd had to put in, like, something because there was a noise on the soundtrack. Well, perhaps there was silence on the soundtrack and you get some sort of bizarrely long close-ups or just, you know, you just see the Doctor standing there and blinking for 
agonisingly too long. <laughs> but yeah, I, I suppose <laughs> until you start like editing the soundtrack or re-recording, which would be, I'm sure, very controversial, then you kind of have to work. Yeah, I think they've done got. a really good job with the animation. I think when you consider their budget is nothing compared to the likes of Disney and all these multinational conglomerates, I think it works as a much more accessible way to enjoy the story compared to something like a recon or just hearing the audio. Mm. And when you, when you consider this team, oh, I, I think, I mean, I may be wrong, but they, they, they're fresh to the process. Right. And when you're, you know, not necessarily competing, but you're trying to do something of the level that all people are expecting. It's ex- expectations, I think, are the issue more than anything, that people are expecting something of the level of, you know, well, your Disney's mm. and your... yeah. And what have you, and 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 that's a pretty hard thing, and and they're learning on their feet. So, um, with that taken into consideration, I mm. think they have done a good job. Yeah, I think with um, Patrick Trout and something, I think we talked about this way way back. So when we had Paul Schoons on to talk about the uh, Crusade. Crusades, and we were talking about how the animations are a really good gateway to making the missing episodes a lot more accessible. But one thing you do lose is Patrick Troughton's performance in terms of what he does visually. And um, when something like, without getting too spoilery for Ian, something like the Underwater Menace, those episodes came back and you see his character uh, in a completely new light which you wouldn't have if you'd only had stills or someone's best educated guests through the animation. I think it's just, it's one of those things that sadly, unfortunately, I don't think they are all going to come back. So this is our the next best we can hope for, but they're, they're really good. And it, I think it does bring it to a whole new audience. So while I haven't seen a lot of, of Classic Who, I have seen, I think it's the War Games, uh, which is at the other end of yeah. Triton's, um era mm, yeah. and I was remarkably surprised yeah. in how familiar the performance of the animated mm-hmm. of his animated doctor was um, I felt like they definitely oh, captured good. some mannerisms that felt very true to that version of the doctor um, and that might not mm-hmm. be quite so true if you're yeah. very familiar um, but the combination of the voice and certain mannerisms I kind of got um, there are there are some interesting things there, I think, to talk about as well um, in terms of things I wasn't expecting to see about similarities in the actual uh, regeneration um, and okay. some of the costuming choices. <laughs> I know that costuming of Doctors <laughs> is always was very controversial, and particularly with 13. There's a lot of feeling about the costume. Yeah. I'm going to throw it out there and say that Troughton's Doctor is, is not particularly sensibly dressed, I think well. it's safe to say. You say that. Patrick Troughton, when he first got the role, uh, they were talking about what his look would be, and he was adamant that he wanted to play it in blackface with a curly wig. Okay, because that's a choice. Because I think, I think his feeling was that um, once he finished for the day, he could just take all the makeup off and walk out onto the street and no one would know he was Doctor Who. Uh, or it might have something to do with his dalliances and uh, multiple... Multiple households. Children here, there, yeah. and all, all over. Maybe, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, that um, was soon given the kibosh. I think uh, <laughs> Michael Craze and Annika Wills were like, 
there's no way I'm going on with you looking like Harpo Marx. <laughs> so uh, yes, it's um, it's a definite. Uh, it's got certain similarities to Hartnell's uh, look, but it's a more sort of dishevelled version. Yeah, of it. and he's got very kind of distinctive braces and a belt, and a slightly ridiculously mm. oversized coat and a bow tie that isn't yeah. straight and a. What is the hat? Mm. Which also seems to mysteriously disappear and reappear throughout the episode. Yeah, this this was another thing that um, I think in the very early stories, it, it almost became like a sort of running theme, didn't it? He had this sort of catchphrase, I would like a hat like that. And uh, without wishing to spoil Ian too much, there will be other uh, cases of headgear that the, the Doctor... I think that's kind of okay, but like the crazy tall hat, he seems to have found all yeah. by himself quite yes. early on. Yeah, it's, it's um, they're definitely, I think they call it the cosmic hobos. Fair enough. And then there's the recorder, but I'm sure Yes, we'll come that, to that was Patrick Troughton's idea because his kids were learning the recorder at school, so he thought that would be a really good thing to sort of get the, uh, the kids involved and uh, they would identify with him a I feel like it should be referred to as a sonic recorder. It could be like the precursor of the sonic screwdriver because it appears to do all sorts of magical things that make also, no sense. Also, irritate the hell out of the companions as well, or particularly uh, Ben. I feel like Ben might. Be <laughs> he was he was very on edge throughout the whole story. I yeah. Thought. Well, I think you would be, wouldn't you, if you were trapped on an alien planet with a bunch of psychotic robot uh, mutants. So, um... I don't know, I'd be more sort of chilled and relaxed and considered mm. about the whole thing, so I didn't, okay. you know, slip up. I'd retain my essential cool. I don't know how many of the old school Dalek stories Lindsay would have seen, but listeners to this show might recall that I quite like the Dalek's master plan. <laughs> I barely mention it, but... <laughs> This is right up there with it, as far as I'm concerned. It's written by David Whittaker. So it's um, one of those occasions where Terry Nation allows another writer to come in and, and write his characters, if you like, the Daleks. And I think he just does an incredible job. He makes them manipulative, scheming. There's this... I mean, we're ahead of... The Doctor and his companions, because obviously Ben and Polly have never come across the Daleks before either. Um, so um, the Doctor obviously knows them and knows that they're up to no good, but uh, everyone else is just assuming it's going to be this amazing thing to help the, the colony. And uh, that's quite a clever way of getting the audience on side with Patrick Troughton as the Doctor, because they know that he knows that they're up to no good but also in terms of uh, getting the audience on board with the new doctor they play it very cleverly because you have the two companions and one of them is doubtful that it's the same person the other one is convinced that it's the same person so that's going to reflect a lot of probably the conversations that were going on at the time as people were watching it and then you've got the sort of master stroke of the the doctor's greatest enemy identifying him as the doctor and sort of validating him as the doctor yeah, I think it's it's remarkable when you go back and think about the fact that this hadn't necessarily been the original plan, yeah, and it kind of came about for inverted mm. commas reasons. Um, and yeah. particularly looking back, like I say, one of the things that I was struck by is actually how many of the things that are set out 
in this first regeneration track through. Mm. Um, I think it's it's just it was really fascinating to me and the the changes the things that are the same this idea that the personality does shift along with the physical characteristics that kind of mm-hmm. oh wait this mouth feels different sort of like it wasn't quite as extreme as we get in New Home but there is definitely a sense of oh I need to yeah. get used to this new body kind of um, mm. um I just think the the thing with the mirror where he looked like his old self and then morphed into his new self I was like that's a yeah. bit weird because he clearly doesn't look like his old self. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think <laughs> I think it was done really interesting. I think it works. And I think you're right that playing him against somebody who just recognise him and having those two sides of the, the, the kind of reaction in the two companions works really nicely. I think it was handled remarkably well. And I think only because it was handled well do, does it then work again. Um, and do we have mm. a Doctor Who that is yeah. as... You're right, yeah. there's a very um, sort of post-regenerative amnesia going on. You think of mm. Peter Davison, Colin Baker. Doctors always act a little bit off in their earlier episodes yeah. before they settle down. And um, obviously that wasn't a designed um, factor, but it is one that has followed throughout the series so uh, in some respects this marks it out as a, a, a very strong regeneration story mm. I think it's quite um, marked that the, the, obviously when Matt Smith came along and he he, he made a point of watching Patrick Troughton and, and really mm-hmm. kind of took to Patrick Troughton I mean not, not only with things like the bow tie and what have you but the fixation with hats mm, that echoed yeah. through yeah. Um, but, but I think what's really brilliant in this episode and I don't quite know how they I, I, I think it's one of these ideas where, where they probably didn't you've got this idea of it being almost like an LSD trip haven't you where, where the doctor is, is a bit freaked out and the whole thing's all a bit strange and, and it yeah. is disorientating mm. the beginning of that episode it's very much yeah. like edge, edge of Destruction or something like that which I know isn't that popular with a lot of people but I really love because it is so damn odd mm. and, and is a bit of a folly and this first episode, I think, is the most interesting of the six episodes, if I'm being honest, um, purely because I'm fixated on the regeneration thing. But yeah. but when the Doctor starts talking in the third person, you start getting all these ideas in your head of, wow, is he almost like an agent and this is a new person who's taken on the role um, you know, of the Doctor and kind of stepped into mm-hmm. his shoes and he's talking like the Doctor is... This this other figure, you know, just like with Matt Smith when he says when he's about when Matt Smith's about to regenerate, and he goes, "He's a coming," you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's really kind of exciting mm. and a really kind of romantic idea. So that I really really loved when the Doctor's going through all the stuff, a bit like yeah. Yoda, mm, yeah, going through, going through Luke Skywalker's yeah. belongings in The Empire Strikes Back, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I think I think that was really, really great. I think what's remarkable as well is just how he just slots straight into the part as well. Is you know you've got the as you say that bit of um, confusion at the start while he's kind of still working out who he is, but it doesn't take very long. And then he's his character. I know it shifts a little bit as we go into his era, but it's not far from being fully formed from the first story. Mm, yeah, totally. I will call out and say that he does have a dirty old man laugh, though. <laughs> well, 
like I've written that down like like quick quite quickly post the regeneration I was like mm, I'm not loving that <laughs> laugh um, maybe it's better with the actual Possibly. face but I was mm. like <laughs> just mm, not, he's not quite impish isn't he rather than being yeah. playful he's quite impish mm. and almost like the like you say there is a darker side going yeah. on because he's he's quite a, almost dismissive of the companions for a while that he's so caught up in being a new person mm. that they're kind of secondary to it that that he's he's not really fussed about how they feel about him really he just clears off outside and, and he's in his own he's on a mission he's not in any way benign mm, no um but then again i don't know that hartnell was either like i think hartnell played sort of almost two different doctors and again i'm saying this as somebody who has not watched his entire run so feel free to <laughs> critique um but he played there was the grandfatherly teacher yeah. that was very sweet and was about educating and all the rest of it but he was also quite vicious is not the right word but he was definitely short and abrupt mm. and demanding mm. um so so i don't know that that's a change it's just yeah you're right the, the but it's not it's not quite malicious but there is definitely something yeah. mischievously impishly kind of not benign i was gonna say doctor. it does it does sort of make you think that each time the doctor regenerates he goes back to a more sort of guarded default kind of personality mm. before he softens and becomes more um you know fun loving and 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 silly um Hartnell's arc was very much from you know grumpy old man to sort of everyone's favorite granddad and there's this sense here that uh Troughton has just gone back to the doctor of the unearthly child in a way he's very sort of mm-hmm. quiet and I don't want to say short-tempered, but kind of, you know, he's he's not brimming with patience. He doesn't take any pains to, you know, relax anyone or explain what's happened. Um, mm. He's just very brusque. And I'm thinking ahead to other doctors. I mean, Colin Baker is always going to be the er example of a doctor who's a little mm. bit grumpy in his first story. Um, I think there's other things that he brings in that certainly get carried over to later doctors i can see a lot of the schema in uh sylvester mccoy's doctor that's certainly been influenced by troughton's portrayal i think troughton's possibly a little bit more subtle in the way that it's done he likes to put out this uh sort of image to people that he's this sort of bumbling professor type but all the time in the background there's this super intelligent being who's weighing it all up and figuring out he's you know at least a step ahead of the uh, the baddies in each story yeah, there's, there's that bit and uh, excuse me if i've got this wrong the timing of this wrong but there's a point where he finds that piece of metal mm-hmm. in the tardis yes and says the word exterminate mm. so i'm i'm assuming that that's just kind of like a little story tool which we you know it reflects Later on, when you've got that piece of metal that guy's looking at that the Daleks are using, yeah. Um, so the audience is aware. Oh, that's the connection. Mm-hmm. Or, or is it is it that well thought out that it, it is the Doctor scheming? He knows where he's going. He knows what he's got to do. There's kind of an inference that there's a connection. If yeah, that makes no. sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I... Or from the TARDIS, if not from the Doctor, mm. I think. And maybe that's my New Who perspective, but I think the TARDIS taking the Doctor where they need to go mm. is something that feels... You know, like that, that idea that the TARDIS would just randomly have that lying around isn't beyond my comprehension. Mm. Um, I do have two two things to add to that. One, which is, how do Daleks use keys? <laughs> there were several points in this episode where I was like, it's like they don't know that Daleks have no hands. Um, like those doors. I was like, how are, how are Daleks getting in and out of those doors that you guys are having to like force open and close? That makes no sense. Key, key fobs. Um, yeah. Clearly, it's all done by RFID. Like It's all radio frequency. <laughs> yes. Um, and the other thing was that having just heard what you were saying there about about Troughton's kind of legacy, I suppose, mm. in, in his schema, um, I see much more of Troughton in contemporary Doctors than I do Hartnell. Yes. But that's maybe no, just I me. No, that's true. I, it's almost like he's become everyone's kind of go-to, you know, you've just been given this part, go back and watch... Watch some really early ones. Don't watch Hartnell, obviously. Uh, um, maybe because Troughton was the first person to be a different Doctor. He's the example that everyone turns to when they look at someone else adopting this role and how did they do it and therefore how can I do it? Yeah, and I think it's there in the costuming and I think it's there in the that impishness and in even in the mannerisms going back to 1981 when there was a um a short series when peter davison was about to become the doctor they did a short series i'm sure you've mentioned it on this podcast called the five faces uh, of doctor yeah, who great. and they showed a different story from each doctor and they showed the crotons and from that point on i was most definitely a patrick yeah. troughton fan just from that short period not the greatest of stories but as far as there being a doctor and warming mm. to him, I I was completely sold. Yeah, I totally take that on board. I'm sure there's a lot of people that very much followed in the same way that you did. I remember seeing Target covers and seeing his face on the cover and just thinking, wow, there's something about him. I don't know what it is. It's just this really unusual kind of, I don't know. It's really hard to put your finger on. But... Yeah, it instantly it made me fascinated. So I was fascinated and wanting to read those Target books before I'd even seen an episode. So here I'm going to be slightly controversial again and say that I think that's something that Peter Capaldi also has. Like mm. there is just something yeah. about his face that makes you think he has lived an interesting life. In particular, I think with the association with um, the Doctor, I think that's a really interesting mm. combination. Yeah. We should talk about the guest cast as well, because it's a really good cast. The standout other character, for me, was Lesterson. I think he was superb. As well as having the whole thing of the, the Daleks scheming and trying to uh, manipulate the humans into doing what they want, you've got this sort of slow descent into madness of this guy who thinks he's doing this great thing that's going to save the colony and is going to make it really... Uh, uh, work as a, a place for the humans to live and then he finally understands that he's doomed them all to death and he's just sliding <laughs> into this complete and utter madness and I think it's a brilliant portrayal there are clips of uh, of him, only short little snippets on the, on the Blu-ray, but I think the animation still manages to get that over pretty well I think it did and I think 
So one of the things that I quite enjoyed about this is that everybody wears name badges, which is very helpful. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do love a good name badge. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. Lesterson's portrayal was really interesting. I think there were quite a lot of interesting characters. So as much as, as with all um, of the, the classic Who that I've watched, the pacing that I struggle with, like this doesn't feel like it needs to be six episodes. It's just very slow. Oh, thank you. you. You've saved me from saying it because I've oh. said it so many times on our podcast. It's just so slow. I was like, if this was an hour, it would be incredible, I suspect. Maybe an hour and a half tops. Um, But yeah, I really struggle with the pacing. But there are some really interesting characters. There are some characters who are given arcs, so they change their opinions, which is always nice. Um, There are characters who have motivations that are not all the same, which Mm. I think is nice. Um, We have a female character who has some agency. Shock horror. Yeah. I will come back to, to the companions. Um, but J- uh, Janley is quite yeah. an interesting character. She goes mm. from screaming to, uh, you know, manipulating and taking over the world. But still. Screaming to scheming. That's a very good way of putting it. She gets to wear <laughs> trousers, though, which is more than Polly. I feel like mm. that might have some part in her, you know, ability mm-hmm. to control the situation. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, I just don't understand why she, Polly's wearing shorts. It makes literally no sense. <laughs> the fact that she's got quite nice legs, presumably. Well, I don't I mean... know. Anyway. Um, it, it's of its era. It's of its era. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I think there there is some really good characters. And I think you're right that Lesterson's descent makes sense. Because you would be utterly terrified that you've kind of ended up with this. And I think... I, you, the Daleks are one of these things where they are phenomenal and they're iconic, but they're also utterly ridiculous. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so trying to find that space whereby you accept that somebody in the future who has made it to another planet, who is running um, a colony, still finds these aliens who can't traverse stairs or open doors or cope with carpet. Um <laughs> Are, are are quite so terrifying is a bit messy, but like I I I do think that it's done well, and I think there is there is a threat in the Daleks, and again, animation sometimes maybe helps that because mm-hmm. you can see more of them, and you can see the 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 thing inside the Dalek, mm, the um, mutant, the mutant, um, without going well that looks like a piece of whatever and you can see it scuttle <laughs> across the floor or whatever and you can use your imagination to actually imagine what that looks like yeah um, i did have one or two like thoughts about i'm never quite sure because in contemporary who you often get somebody who is in charge of the daleks they'll be like a dalek who is clearly in charge mm-hmm. or somebody will be you know working with the daleks or whatever um, yeah. i was like but who's who who has the master plan it didn't really understand how they were scheming or who was in charge. It all just... Like, are they psychic? Is that a thing? Are I think in later psychic? stories, don't they make some sort of inference they've got a hive mind? But I think that's... Canon just gets added to every... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think we, we have to accept that these things are all a bit kind of up in the air. Um, I did also think it was quite funny that you can just, like, slot their gun arm out of their body. I feel like that's something mm-hmm. the Doctor should remember for future stories. <laughs> Yes, you may have a point. That is a very good point. It would have saved him an awful lot of time if he just, every time they appeared at the end of all the various episode ones, he just leaped forward, 
pull it out and go, ha ha. Um, and then probably get get sucked. I, I did love yeah. the fact that, that the moment the uh, Dalek was activated, it just decided to go and kill someone. It's like mm. as soon as he was charged up, he went, and th- and then he just removed the gun, and he's like, you imagine the Dalek sort of saying, "What, what, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> what, what are you doing?" <laughs> but I did like the fact that the the Dalek was kind of it picked out a victim. Mm. He just it fixated yeah. on that one guy yeah. on uh, on Resno. Resno. Yeah. yeah. Picked out him and and mm. followed him around the room and thought I'm having him. <laughs> and again, the shots were really nicely done in the animation, like seeing mm. through the Dalek eye and kind of all of that felt really quite clever. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it would have felt really quite clever in the original. Yeah, there are well, shots of when the the Dalek is advancing on Patrick Trout and uh, on the cliffhanger, and you get that POV shot. From the uh, the Dalek's eye, so yeah, they were uh, they were certainly coming up with uh, more interesting ways to try and uh, get that scare factor in. Mm-hmm. It, it feels quite ahead of its time this this particular story because I can imagine this being working really well in the Tom Baker era, mm, and it yeah. would have a, a, a probably a more claustrophobic feel. I think that's the only thing missing from this mm-hmm. because the setup is such that you've got this colony and and they've within this colony. You've got a rebel sect, mm. and you think how how does that how does that kind of work? How big is this colony mm. that 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 society can break down within that? And the only way you can kind of explain that in your head is that it's kind of claustrophobic and it's a bit of a they call it a powder keg. Is that is that what they call it when yeah when there's lots of emotions going around mm-hmm. and everyone's a little bit claustrophobic and and is going a little bit nuts. Stir but, crazy, but it, it never occurred to me before watching it. This again for this podcast mm-hmm. is the the kind of feelings are very similar to Quatermass in the Pit when you've got this, you yeah. know, you've got you've got this spaceship that's been buried and they discover mm-hmm. it and something's alive with, inside it, but possibly it's affecting everyone around it and making everyone mm-hmm. go a bit loopy. And that, again, possibly not written into the thing, but that's kind of the effect it. I it had gives. never made that parallel, but that is such a really good point. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've been Simon Brett. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, th- I think that makes it more interesting. Um, mm. But it's quite a difficult thing to do with the way that the, the show was made in that at that time. You know, everything's mm. so kind of studio-based and yeah, maybe brightly lit and, and hard to kind of put that across. But it is put across in the in the performances of people like you know the actors like Lesterson, um, where they literally go a bit mad on the screen. I love the whole thing with um, it sort of pays off at the end, where the Daleks are trying their best to to keep a lid on their aggression, and they they keep saying, "I am your servant, I am your servant," and then uh, Lesterson comes out with the same line at the end, and that's just kind of just a brilliant sort of uh, full circle. Mm. I did think that um, so there is a, a thing about anybody who has to say that they're the good guy is probably not the good guy um, mm. anybody who says they are your servant I was trying to find a, like a, any situation whereby anybody has ever said that in something dramatic and mm. it not yeah, ended so, so I'm sitting here thinking you know they're, they're creatures of hate and evil they're pretending to be our servants they're pretending they're going to help us level up the society and i'm wondering if i can leapfrog to a joke about the government i'm not entirely sure there's any parallel there brought to you by april yeah. 2022 
<laughs> Although to be fair, it's probably relevant <laughs> at be, any point in the to future. To be fair, I think yeah, that that <laughs> joke will be valid for you know a month. Too long, unfortunately. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Um, I think so. So going back to that kind of idea of it's not a base under siege because the threat is on the inside, but. Um, mm. I think like the bit where the governor has to go away, so they send him to like the outer territories, and he's like, "Well, it's really mm-hmm. hard out there." Like, I feel like, give particularly given <laughs> how much time there is, I feel like we get very little of that, other than him being like, "Oh yeah, it's really like mm. it's hard work out there." Like, so I just thought to come back early, you know. I feel I feel like they could have done it because yeah, you're right. Like, how far away is that? And when they're doing their little announcements, when they're like, oh, watch out for your communications boxes. And he talks about, I can't remember the terminology, that's awful. Um, but he talks about, you know, people on the periphery and people in the, it, it's not the suburbs, but it feels like he's talking about the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm like, well, is there like 600 people in this colony? Is there 6 million people in this colony? Are you generational? What is going on? Yeah. I don't really understand. Mm. Because um, quite often when we've seen these things, or at least in the bits that I've seen, it's been you know a relatively compact team that has been mm-hmm. sent out to do something in a location, um, as opposed to an entire populace. Also, as a Star Trek fan, the fact that it's Vulcan generally just confuses me. Um, <laughs> and I will watch myself very carefully because I got into trouble last time about Vulcan nerve pinches and about when certain things oh, were, yes. were, were yeah. produced. Mm. Um, so I'm sure this yeah. came first, but... <laughs> yes. But... Let's just agree that that's... Yes, Doctor Who definitely yes. came first and definitely had Vulcan before yeah. Star Trek touched it. And is the no best. Comment. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming they're trying to put across that it's quite a large colony, though, you know, of at least thousands of people for it to be a rebellion, because surely anything smaller than that is just a mutiny. But, but we don't sense? see anything that is a rebellion. Yeah, we see a yeah. mutiny. Like, yeah, and I think that's that's the struggle I have, is that you have, you know, a chief of security who has his own guards who are comically wearing black shirts, uh, or not comically, depending mm. on how you look at it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you don't see any kind of mass uprising from the no, populace. No, it's a coup as opposed to a... I don't know yeah. if that makes it better or worse. Yeah. It's just what we see. And again, I, I, again, you know, I have to remember that we were watching an animation, but it was made in live action and there would mm-hmm. have been a limited budget and you couldn't yeah. have had, you know, crowd scenes and like toppling statues. Well, the director was Christopher Barry and he was renowned as being one of the, the best of the early directors. So you'd like to think he would have really made the most of of what he had. I think the sets look really good. I don't know if you saw any of the the still images, but um, the animation does a really good job of representing what the sets look like. So the the set for the spaceship is absolutely bang on to what the the actual set was in the, the version that was televised. I think that looks stunning. I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah, and it's all it mm. is all very stylistically like it feels like a Dalek ship even if logically I'm like, I don't understand how mm-hmm. you use that key and I don't understand how you open those doors. <laughs> um, like it, it felt very kind of in tone, which is good. Um, size, like the external mm. to the internal, I was, it's a bit hard to say. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I'm going to say 1960s sci-fi, I can't remember exactly. 1966. Oh, there we go. Bang in mm-hmm. the middle. Uh, so it is 1960s sci-fi and you have to give it some some leeway with some of these things, mm-hmm. I think. 
Um, also, the opening scene where you had like the TARDIS in the like the desolated landscape. Mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, oh, I kind of want to see what this looks like in real life because it feels like another model TARDIS in the sandbox <laughs> scene. <laughs> I think we moved on a little bit from uh, from that particular story. Thank you, young Lindsay. Okay. I'm quite. I'm, I'm slightly sad now because I, I, I got some kind of like nostalgic feel about it. Mm. Can, I, can I just go back to the when Lindsay right right near the start of this episode? You mentioned about name badges that everyone had a name badge. Um, it's obviously something which is at the forefront of the psychology of the place because essentially the doctor becomes the examiner on the basis of a name badge. So he puts his name badge on, and everyone believes that's who he was. Yeah. Yes, and it has no photo or no, no actual name no, no. or any form of security, anything. It's just like, let me in everywhere. I am the Earth Examiner. Yeah. Yeah. She came alone, apparently, and just, like, you know, overshot the landing. Who, who managed just to? Just randomly yeah. walked out into the Mercury field. Managed to crash land. Yeah. Well, people do that all the time. <laughs> Might have been a very good examiner. He's just a rubbish pilot. <laughs> well, it's the fact that they literally say, "Oh, people do that." Lindsay, <laughs> like, okay. Let Let's get off this whole uh, catlerfish. Last time we had you on, the companions yeah. were Stephen and Dodo. So now um, we have Ben and Polly. Do you feel we've moved on a bit in in getting roaring? Oh no, I feel like they literally keep oh, replacing them goodness. with like the right, same okay. companions. <laughs> not not quite, but. Polly wears shorts and screams and mm-hmm. gets abducted. And uh, Billy, or whatever his name is. Um, ben. Ben. Is it Ben again? <laughs> it gets, just get very angry and slightly aggressive. And yeah, I wasn't really loving either of them. Um, oh dear. I, they're, they're, they're doing very specific jobs and I get that. I think you might have liked them in the first story. It was set in the height of swinging 60s London and they would go to groovy nightclubs and things and uh, you get to see a bit more of their personality rather than being plunged into the middle of some civil war on a, an alien planet. Fair enough. And they're also dealing with the fact that their friend slash the Doctor has mm-hmm. like just regenerated into somebody they don't really recognise, which I get is a thing, I think. Um, I think... <sighs> It's always really hard to decide whether you like a companion or not in Mm -hmm. a singular story. Even if that singular story goes on for six episodes, I would argue. Um, And to me, it still very much feels like they're there playing a part as opposed to being created as characters that we're supposed Mm -hmm. to really engage with. I totally agree with you. I I think if you'd seen their first two stories, you might feel slightly yeah. different. And I mm-hmm. and it's a curious thing. I don't know if it's because I literally watched an animation that they both felt much more cartoon character than mm. than established characters. They were mm. both I mean, Ben was one note, he was just denial and and angry, which is two notes, so I should shut up now. <laughs> um and and Polly Yes, it's yes, very one-dimensional, exactly. though. Um, Polly less so, but at the same time, she didn't really hit kind of highs or lows. She was always just kind of affable and spunky and curious, and you know, she was better than some of the female yeah. characters that I have seen in in Who, um, in many of iterations. So like, it, it, it isn't all bad, and. 
I just like I would like to see a few more women on screen with like actual competencies. And I think the last two, in fact, possibly the last three episodes, like there has been the female companion, and there has been an evil woman at the heart <laughs> of it all. <laughs> and those have been Equal literally the only two women. women. Yeah. Uh, just, just you wait till the doctor starts asking yeah. asking her to go away and make pots of coffee. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I shall look forward to that. No, I think, and again, obviously, like we take all of this like as it was made mm. and as it was intended. Um, I just think we need to talk about these or yeah. acknowledge these things as part of the the kind mm. of revisiting of it. Um, there were one or two other things that I thought were really funny. Um, you guys might be able to answer this question for me. So when he's wandering around with his five year diary, which I think is hysterical, I love the fact that he's got like a five year diary. Now I think it would be like, yeah, yeah. or yeah, a five hundred year diary. It would be mm-hmm. like a millennium diary. Um, but I was like, the Doctor's Diary, if that's not already an episode, <laughs> it needs to be an episode. It feels like a very New Who kind of episode title. Um, I feel like that we came back to that with River Song, didn't we? Not that we got to read it. Mm. Well, the, yeah, yeah. Well, I was about to say their diaries were, were mm. very much important. but That's a, um, that's a great yeah, idea like if, you know, some... <laughs> Literally any villain gets hold of the Doctor's diary and he can time travel and he knows exactly where and when the Doctor's going to be, then, you know, you could have a, you could have a whole season of, of, say, the monk just using that book mm. to mess with the Doctor. That's, that's certainly something I'd do if I was showrunner. Or maybe, you know, the Doctor comes across the Master's diary and just, like pops up and irritates them. Well, well, the Master's Diary, so I've got it here. Um, Let me just have a quick... So, Monday, death. Tuesday, death. (laughs) Wednesday, death. (laughs) PM, shopping. Thursday, Mm. death. Um, Looks like he's taking Friday off. Um, But, yeah, I I feel like his diary would be... um, Isn't Friday the day where he stands in a field pretending to be a scarecrow? Yeah, that's probably what it is. That's the one, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the the overriding all week long appointment, which is irritates mm-hmm. the doctor. I love the idea though do. that after this episode, the doctor goes back to his diary, and uh, on the left hand side of the double page, it says, "In one when in one set of handwriting, feeling a bit icky," <laughs> and then on the other side, he just writes in at the top in big letters, "Regenerated." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to back to the office tomorrow. Oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> like two weeks bl- blocked off in August to go to some le- leisure planet that never goes wrong. <laughs> oh dear! Um, I did. Uh, there were some uh, good kind of other uh, gimmicky things that we saw. I quite enjoyed the laser Jimmy, like using a laser to try and mm-hmm. Jimmy open the door. Uh, yeah. to the Dalek spaceship I was like that's funny because I was like oh that looks exactly like a um, oh, what do you call it a blue yeah. torch thing I don't think that's yeah, what I called probably you know what they I mean? used when they were uh, filming it I suspect so but then it had like a bright shiny mm. light come out of it so that was exciting no these things are good uh, I quite enjoyed that bit um, I did also scream Dalekanium at, at the TV at least once <laughs> Clearly they haven't named it yet. Like the magical mm. metal that doesn't rust. And you try to make out that you're not some sort of fangirl. I, mm. I have my moments. I just very sub like a very special subset yeah, okay, of the genre. We'll give you that. On the subject of they haven't named it Dalekenium yet, and we know that Terry Nation's creative 
juices are, shall I suggest, <laughs> slightly route one. It, mm. it can't have taken anyone involved very long to come up with that. So mm-hmm. the fact that they haven't maybe implies that, you know, the whole, you know, Dalek thing isn't quite the brand that it became. And they didn't want to sort of lay, load it up with all these various terms and offshoots. I think it's interesting that you've got this set of three Daleks that echoes through, because that echoes through to, um, well, the Cult of Scaro. I mean, I know it's only a number, but it does seem to make sense, doesn't it, that mm. they would go around in threes? Yeah. Yeah, I think that carries on after mm. that as well. I'm pretty sure when we got the Rainbow Daleks, was there not oh, three of those five. Oh, yeah, that's or right. maybe yeah. six. I can't oh. remember. And they, of course, no, they, of it course have turned six, up in, uh, in Victory so of the Daleks, which this um, is kind of the forerunner for, I suppose, yes. in that you have the whole I am your servant yes. shtick. But I, I kind of feel like it was... I don't want to say anything was done better in Victory of the Daleks, but at <laughs> least that was quite brief. And because we all knew what was going to happen, it wasn't quite so mm. agonising waiting for the big reveal that, hey, guess what? The Daleks are really naughty. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And obviously, I saw that first. So I've you know kind of seen that and this in the wrong order. So I should not be I should be shot at dawn for even suggesting hand in your cards it was just better. yeah yes yeah. no my card is handed in mm-hmm. yeah. I too obviously watched them in the wrong order because you know that's what I've done um and I did like the echoes I absolutely mm-hmm. saw and it, it is perhaps just a really good example of how this plot would be done in 45 minutes yeah uh, as opposed to you know what felt like <laughs> seven hours <laughs> It gets pretty brutal, doesn't it, for um, tea time telly in the 1960s. There's um, there's a lot of death towards the end when they just really go for it and just give up on any pretense of being servants anymore and they just go around on a massive killing spree. Yeah, I suppose, but it all feels very kind of sanitised and it feels like I... I there's a moment when the... the um, What's his face? Is it Bregan mm. who asks them to kill the governor? Yes. And the Dalek kills the governor, and you get that classic flash mm-hmm. of light, and then the governor's like lying over yeah. the desk. And then he's like, Why do humans kill other humans? Mm, yeah. And you're like, Well, that's a fairly fundamentally important mm. question that we can't really answer, other than by saying, Because we're awful. Yeah. Um, but I think it's A, it's a good question, um, and B, it tells us a lot about the Daleks. Yeah. It very much paints them as yes, they're they're you know evil and they're warmongering and all the rest of it, but they have a clear objective, mm-hmm. which is Dalek rule. Made me think of the Borg. Made me think of. Um, have you seen the film Aliens? Ah, oh, was a a great bit where um, they send in the Marines to take out this huge batch of aliens that's infested a planet and. Uh, there's a, a line about oh you don't see them fucking each other over just over some money uh, because the um, the people sending them in have ulterior motives and um, let's just say money is quite high on the list. Fair, um, but again, that's a, a question that comes into if if you were to look at it with a bigger sci-fi lens. Mm-hmm. 
that as we learn to appreciate other cultures, even if they're not, you know, human, then that differentiation should cease to be important anyway. If that makes sense, maybe. Mm -hmm. It's probably too late. I've probably had one too many glasses (laughs) of wine. Um, But that that idea that if if we appreciate other species as well as other cultures, Mm. then it shouldn't matter that somebody is Vulcan or Romulan. It doesn't make it okay Mm -hmm. for us to kill them. I was. I should really think of some Doctor Who things. It doesn't matter if you're from Rex Colocophalpatorius. Uh, it's still not okay for us to oh. kill you. So they're <laughs> Daleks. Clom. Or Clom. <laughs> Good old Clom. What did you think of the music in this one? I think they reuse uh, some of the music from the original Daleks era. I think it's really atmospheric. I think it helps to just crank up the tension and add to that sort of feeling of... Uh, it all being very compressed into this uh, quite tight space. I didn't really notice it, which is usually a I good think sign. That's, I think. Yeah, I think that's the that's what I took from it. That it just felt very much of its time, and mm. um, the atmospherics were quite good. Like I felt like the the kind of general level of background noise and information that was given Mm -hmm. through sound was quite good so i think we ought to wrap things up and give it a score and i am gonna come to Lindsay first what would you like to give this one out of 10 that's really hard (laughs) um so i think purely for the regeneration i'm gonna give it like a seven i think okay i I love the regeneration i think Mm. the general plot was pretty sound it just went on for far too long <laughs> welcome to 1960s doctor who <laughs> <laughs> uh, i've given up taking points off for the companions being rubbish well mm, yeah fair fair point uh ian what are you gonna give this one i think i'm gonna give this one a four i didn't oh Lordy. i didn't like it at all it was for a start, it was very long and quite boring. Um, I think they completely mishandled the regeneration. I think he should have come out and said, don't worry, guys, it's still me. I'm the Doctor. You've set up this ongoing story where Ben clearly, you know, isn't convinced. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that goes anywhere. I didn't warm to Troughton's portrayal. I know that I will do. I've seen later stories where he's absolutely lovely and charming and so on but Mm -hmm. I just didn't like him in this Um, so uh, you know a fairly watertight plot not necessarily Mm -hmm. the best realisation of it but um, yeah 4 out of 10 good lord well that will be interesting when people get to hear that Simon what would you like to give it I'm somewhat relieved at Ian's score there because I thought I was going to be the bad guy. And I'm, I'm very much the same mind as Lindsay, very much so, in as much as I love the regeneration side of it because I think it's... If you want an example of a, a mishandled regeneration, you've only got to look at Colin Baker's appearance. Yeah. Um, because I think that, that it doesn't take long for them for there to be reassurance that this is the Doctor. Mm. I don't think it's... It over, I don't think it overreaches on that front. Um, apart from maybe the fact that Ben sounds like, as you say, one tone. Um, but equally, I think the story, while it's a perfectly valid and meaty story of what's going on at the colony, it does it is overstretched something really chronic. Mm-hmm. It's another one of these where I think it could have been four episodes rather than six. Um, 
which makes me mark it down. So I'm going to go for a seven as well. Okay, I think that's all. You've all made perfectly valid points. Um, I am going to go for a. Um, I think it's going to be heart overhead. I'm going to give it an eight. I do like this a lot. Sounds like more than the rest of you. Uh, I think the cast are amazing. I think Bernard Archer, we didn't really talk about him too much as Bregan. He is just superbly evil. And Pamela Ann Davy as Janley as well is just another standout performance. And I've obviously gone on about how great Lesterson was. Um, he was played by Robert James and I thought he was just a real standout guest performer for 60s Who. So those things help to up my score a bit. I think the Daleks are portrayed in probably one of the more interesting ways of the 60s stories. When you think back to when we watched The Chase and it was all sort of for laughs and you know, quite comedic. This is definitely a world away from that. Um, and I think Troughton nails it from quite early on. You're right in saying it's not the cuddly character that you probably get to know and love from later stories, but I don't think it's that far off that. So I'm going to give it an eight. So let's hear what you guys have to say about the power of the Daleks. I've got mail. And first up, we have had an email. Thomas Meehan has written into our email address, which is mailbagofrassilon at gmail.com, if you'd prefer to get in touch that way. And Thomas says, another favourite of mine starring another favourite incarnation of the Doctor. Power of the Daleks is brilliant. Despite being missing, luckily, there are two animated versions. I watched the one from 2016. The Daleks are scary and this is how they should be. Ben and Polly are enjoyable and I get quite a few laughs from them. As for Troughton, he's on top form and I love the second Doctor's dark side uh, that he masks behind his foolishness. Yeah, I think we mentioned that. As for the other characters, they're forgettable and I didn't mind them being killed off. Oh, uh, The soundtrack is brilliant and unsettling throughout. Overall, an enjoyable story and one I come back to time after time. Thank you, Thomas. And next up, we're going to have some audio feedback from Ben Schneider. Okay, first of all, we need to give a big thank you to whoever it was that came up with this idea for regeneration or renewal or whatever it is that happens at the very end of 10th Planet going into Power of the Daleks. Otherwise, all the future cast changes to the lead actor for this show would become, you know overly complicated and convoluted and, and just crazy. I mean, you would always have to send the dying doctor back to find the old, you know, toy maker to become invisible and come back in a brand new body. Or I don't know, you'd, you, would, you would have to go to the Savages planet and have the old doctor's mind sucked out of the old body and plopped into a brand new actor. Or go through whatever increasingly silly reasons for new bodies that the producers and writers would need to keep coming up with every three years. Man, we dodged a bullet. At least this regeneration thing is kind of, sort of, plausible in a sci-fi biological alien way. Kinda? Yeah, why not? Thank you, Ben. And I am going to go back to Twitter. 
and we've heard from 42 to Doomsday at 42 to Doomsday. And Rob, as we mentioned earlier, he found some of those missing clips from this story. Uh, and this is Mark, I think, who tends to tweet on their feed. He says, I saw the original reconstruction attempt of this story on VHS back in the late 80s when some members of the Dwas married up the audio and newly discovered telesnaps sourced from director Christopher Barry. That's interesting. Thank you for that. And we've also heard from Trevor Smith at Mr. Smith in Knots. My all-time favourite Dalek story. The Daleks feel very scary and menacing. Pat Troughton gets the Doctor straight away. Thank you, Trevor. We have also heard from Harry Whitley from the Who Can Convince You podcast. He's also got a new Twitter feed going with all of his amazing musical shenanigans. Uh, that's really worth checking out. That's at Harry Music Music. Uh, he says, superb. I had this on CD and transferred it to cassette to take on holiday with me many times, so it's a story I'm very familiar with. It's wonderful. Great script and lovely characterizations. The Daleks are absolutely nailed down here, and it feels that this is the true blueprint for how the Daleks will be moving forward. Pure evil. You could say it's maybe one episode too long. I think more than one, according to our guys here. But it doesn't feel like it drags that much, and Tristram Carey's score just is disgusting, creepy, and gorgeous. It doesn't quite knock Planet of the Daleks off the best story of any show ever mantle, but it's pretty damn close. Love it. Yeah, he really loves Planet of the Daleks. Still takes all kinds, I suppose. Uh, thank you, Harry. Next up, we have heard from John Rivers at John Rivers and John says I know it's all part of a clever ruse by the doctor but by the end of that story I really want to shove that recorder up his arsehole <laughs> I mean that's uh, well that could be taken in more well, than one yeah. uh, well up the arsehole by the sound of it but uh, yeah I don't think you're alone there John to be fair I think it could be a tad on the irritating side thank you John and uh, next up, we've heard from Jason Thompson at JasonJTT. And Jason says, A brilliant story, superbly constructed. Each episode drives the plot forward and every cliffhanger involves Daleks, but with the stakes and tension raised higher every time. All the supporting characters are so wrapped up in their own personal issues they don't see the threat. Yeah, that's a good point. And after all the build-up, the final episode doesn't scrimp on the action or give us a 10-second climax. The scenes with the sound of gunfire and killing in the background are as tense and dramatic as anything the show ever produced. Ian, who have you heard from? So we've heard from uh, Mark from Prog to Who, at Prog to Who on Twitter, who says it's his new favourite Troughton story. I just love this story and really hope one day it returns to the archives. Great plot, lovely performances, and it doesn't outstay its welcome. Hmm. I've watched the animated <laughs> version about six times already, and I'm going to go for a seventh soon. Pure class, nine out of ten. He loves it. We've heard from... Oh, RetroTube. I love RetroTube. They sound, I do they sound so jolly. Mm. Uh, I didn't know anything about this one other than its mythic status among fans. 
almost unimaginably mysterious, complex and deep. When I f finally came to watch it a few weeks ago, I was surprised that it was actually quite a small story. Nonetheless, it's absolutely magnificent. Possibly the Daleks' mm -hmm. best outing. They have actual personality and agency here, and it shows how much more fun they are when they're not just Davros's mechanical henchmen, and the difficult, awkward, secretive doctor, before Troughton nailed his more impish persona, is a delight. Much better than Powder of the Daleks, all about their <laughs> cocaine habit and how they replace their eye stalks with straws. Marvellous. Oh We've heard okay. also from 42 to Doomsday, um, so who says Dread Sinister has still found more footage of this story than Indiana Morris of Wigan. Um, mm. but, you know, early days. It'll, it'll turn up. It's out there somewhere. <laughs> when the wind's blowing in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, Camo Hatman, Austin523555 on Twitter, says, Utterly fantastic opener to the second Doctor Zero. The opening scene with the mirror reflects the audience's shock at what just occurred. Do you see what he did? The, the, the mirror reflects. Oh. Mm, yeah. yeah. The Daleks are also terrifying as they should be. It's sad that this amazing story is missing, but the animation is a great supplement. Paul at P. Waring says, Definitely one where the novel adds to the story. You get some insights into how the characters are thinking, and some come across better and worse, uh, better or worse, not both, as a result. For example, the governor. It's one of my favourite novelisations, and I thought the animation was great when it came out. Dave, our lovely friend Dave from Down Under, and from the Doctor Who show. Very fond memories of how exciting the release of John Peel's novel and the cassettes of the soundtrack were in the 90s. Another classic 60s Dalek story, although the Daleks and Alien World being so good hides some weak human characters and the human slightly silly plot. Polly believing mm. the Doctor is the Doctor. Ben at first not believing but coming round to it is the perfect way to get the audience on side via the companions. And Troughton is commanding from the start. I agree with David. Simon, who have you heard from? We've got a tweet here from Jim, I'm guessing, at the Crinoid po podcast. Ah, yeah. Um, a cracker. A case of the animation opening up the story for me as I could never quite get into the soundtrack. The Daleks have never been craftier, biding their time and exploiting the ambition and dissent in the human ranks to their own evil ends. Mm. And Troughton's mischievous doctor, Wolfie, makes, makes it hard for Ben and us viewers to accept him as the same man we knew and loved. Nevertheless, by the middle of the story, we have accepted him and a new era is born. Uh, and then we have Dave, who is at Hemavores Russ on Twitter. Power is one of the most important stories in Doctor Who. It's an incredible script, making the Daleks very devious and scheming. Troughton leaves the viewer wanting to know more about him, as he's pretty mysterious in this. Wonderful guest cast, too. Fraser Gregory on uh, on Twitter, at Felix Fraser. It's a tour de force, and it needed to be. The whole future of the show was riding on its success. The idea of the regeneration is played brilliantly. It happens with no explanation, and we're just asked to accept it and move on, much like Ben and Polly making one accepting and the other sceptical is a masterstroke. As is the writing of the Daleks, gone are the megalomaniac Pepper Potts. 
In come a devious breed of monster, all full of cunning and guile, and all the better for it. We don't see these Daleks enough, but biggest plaudit needs to go to Patrick Troughton, who just walks into the show like he's always been there and walks away with our hearts. Again, this is what we needed to happen to keep going for 60 years. Straight out the traps, he nails the role and gives us one of his best performances. All in all, a 10 out of 10. Simon Moore on Twitter. A pinnacle of 60s Doctor Who. Whitaker knows how to write a six-parter that builds and sustains tension and drama. The Daleks gradually appear bit by bit, rather like in Genesis, until the, they become the overwhelming force. The guest cast are great, and I can almost believe this is a real colony we're seeing. I first encountered the Telesnap reconstruction around 2000 and was mesmerised and engaged all the way through. Of all the missing stories, this is the one that hurts the most. Um, and finally, David Spooner on, on Twitter. An incredibly strong first story for the newly regenerated second Doctor. The whole Resistance plot syncs nicely with the Daleks' apparent compliance as servants. This would be one of the first times that the Daleks are being deceptive and manipulative to obtain their their objective. Thank you, guys. And uh, Lindsay, who have you heard from? Uh, so I've got Anthony Carroll from Twitter. Uh, just love to see it. Cunning Daleks and a new Doctor, so what's not to like? Only downside is dull colonists apart from Lesterson. 9 out of 10. Mm. I've also got Richard Smith. Power is such a great story. Continually ratcheting up the tension, the Daleks start powerless but use their cunning to take over, while the Doctor knows exactly what's happening, but can't persuade the colonists. The episode endings are all brilliant and the performance is great. Thank you, Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Matt Barber as well, also from Twitter. Completely absorbed by John Peel's novelisation in the soundtrack. Convinced it was a lost classic vying with the evil as the goat. Um, <laughs> watched the animation, didn't make it past episode two. Not oh. the animation's fault. In the end, I preferred The Smugglers. Mm. Philip Edney on Twitter. This is a grown-up political drama. The characters are complex and complicated, played against a new doctor who seems naive and childlike, but is far more astute than letting on. Ben and Polly's lack of faith in the new doctor increases the tension. Daleks at their most manipulative. Mm. Thank you, Philip. And we've got Gallifrey's Most Wanted, also from Twitter. Until the novel and the audio came out, it was this mysterious tale. The audio in the novel never rocked my world and I was entertained. However, when I got uh, saw the animated version, I was able to really appreciate it better. It was the subject of our second episode. Fabulous. Um, Vic and I were blown away. We felt we really had a better understanding of the second Doctor and we loved Ben and Polly. Five years later, I have watched it maybe a dozen times, both animated and the beautiful uh, Telesnaps version. Mm-hmm. It is now a favourite of mine. Thank you, Gallifrey's Most Wanted. Um, so Dwayne Bunny says, I'm a heathen for enjoying David Whittaker's Dalek stories far more than nations. Or am I a heathen for enjoying David Whittaker's Dalek stories far more than nations? This was the story that gave an extra dimension to the Daleks. And the performances of all the cast are riveting. That new bloke playing the Doctor was okay too. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank Thanks. you, Dwayne. <laughs> Uh, And from 26 glorious years, my first exposure was the DWB photo novel, still a cherished and coveted possession. Like Whitaker's script for evil, this is also elevated by a host of nicely drawn characters, no pun intended given the animation. 
mm-hmm. whose contrary motivations each help to drive the plot forward. Thank you. And then Tim at the missing episodes, those Daleks, sneaky buggers. They also are fair. Indeed. Also fair. <laughs> Thank you all for your Twitter feedback. We've got one more bit of audio for you. We have the amazing Andy Moore. Coming! Hang on a minute. You're right with you. Every bloody time. Yes, what can I do for you? Good morning. We are currently in the area to help people exterminate rising energy prices. Have you ever considered changing your power supplier? Look, I told you lot before, pal, I'm not interested. How about you just sling a stupid pepper pot hook? Get out of it. I'm sick of this kind of abuse. I'm going back to work in the call centre. Well, what did you think of that, guys? Strangely topical. <laughs> yes, yeah. Awesome. Very prescient. He sent that to me ages before the... Uh, well, I mean, this will be months before you actually get to hear it, but yes, uh, we're in the middle of an energy crisis in the UK at the moment, so um, yeah, very, very topical. Uh, I'm thinking the um, Octopus Energy logo is particularly appropriate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is Thank Octopus you, Andy, still around? Have they not cl- collapsed oh, like everybody God, else? Oh, Please no, we're with Octopus. <laughs> okay, take that back. Thank you all so much for getting in touch. It's great to hear from you all. And if you'd like to uh, send in your tweets or emails or audio, all the various ways and means are listed at the end of the show. So, uh, guys, before you disappear, I'd like you to give a bit of a plug to what you've got going on. Lindsay, you can go first. Thanks. Um, so if you would like to hear me whispering on about Star Trek as opposed to Doctor Who, uh, <laughs> you can find me on Trek This Out. Uh, we are on Twitter at Trek This Out Pod, um, where uh, myself and Suki and Andrea and our occasional guests can be found talking about contemporary trek as it's released um, mm-hmm. and we've also got the davis family who have been discussing prodigy which is uh, the yeah, nickelodeon animation good. yeah it's good fun that it's good thread it's it's an amazing i really love the show and these mm. guys they're, they're a family so uh, we've got mum dad and their two daughters uh, who who like to tell us regularly they are slightly too old for prodigy um, but they have some <laughs> fantastic insights um, so if you're interested in hearing about that then they are definitely worth listening out for and they are on our um, pod thread too mm. good stuff and Simon what have you got going on at the moment um, as far as hearing me I'm one part of the expanding Strangers in Space cast yeah. I suppose you call it um, but I'm mostly appearing on the episodes. We're doing quite a few music episodes now, which mm, are yeah. a lot of fun and uh, taking a bit of breather from Doctor Who a bit. I'll still yeah. be on some of the episodes, but also film as well. We're talking on there, so there's there's something for everyone on the on the uh, on the Strangers in Space inverted commas network. Um, other than that, bit of bit of design work here. Bit of design there. work, yeah. I've been doing a few. Um, Record covers for a band called mm. Tin Gun, who feature members of bands called Tenic and Tim, who who used to be in a band called Flowered Up and also in Republica. So that's been mm. really nice to do that. 
um, and little bits of writing coming out here and there. I've, I've done something for the most recent Candy Jar, Lethbridge Stewart uh, Unit Files um, anthology. So that was oh, another nice. nice little surprise. So, mm. yeah. You are one of these polymaths, aren't you? You can just turn your hand to anything. Uh, jack of all trades, master of none of them. <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. It's been tremendous fun having you along. Thank, thank you. you for having us. It's always yeah, a pleasure. Nice to do it again sometime. Yeah, if no, we'd love, of course, we'd love to have you back. So until next time, well, we'll be taking a trip to the Highlands of Scotland. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at mailbagofrassilon at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Time and Space Pod, and you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to leave some audio feedback, there is a link in the show notes. You can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback. Or if you're listening via the Anchor website, you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music. can't believe you didn't let me come in and talk about an episode set in the Highlands of Scotland. Well, here's the thing, Lindsay. Is it awful? It's completely missing. There's no animation. Oh, okay. It's photo telesnaps. <laughs> I take that request I back. I quite like then. it. I quite like it. It's not the best love story, but I, I think, like it. I think the book's better than the, the thing itself yeah, from yeah. listening to it. Mm. Oh, dear. Mm. There, there's always a yeah. challenge, isn't there? Hannah Gordon's in it. And okay. your your favourite professional Scott, Fraser Hines. This is his debut. Is it really? Mm. Yeah, it's oh set gosh. in the Battle, uh, Battle of Culloden. Oh, how? Oh, okay. Oh, was, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're fine. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no. You just get more of me being grumpy yeah, yeah, than usual yeah. in that case. It's a lot of fun, I think. <laughs> I think it's quite a fun story. Mm. I'm sure it is. And I think uh, my, my animosity towards professional Scots... Uh, can usually be set aside for the right <laughs> cause, but yeah. Mm.